I got your picture, I'm coming with you, dear Maria, count me in. There's a story at the bottom of this bottle and on the pen. In Donald Passerman's Music Industry Bible, All You Need to Know About the Music Business, he describes the role of a band's manager as being, quote, the single most important person in your professional life. A good personal manager can expand your career to its maximum potential, just as a bad one can rocket you into oblivion. A lot of music fans usually see band managers as being dicks uh, that sit around and say, I want, I want, I want, I need, I need, I need all the time, or no, sorry, the band is unavailable at this time for your little request. There's no doubt that the position is not one of glamour and riches, at least not all of the time. Now, sure, being a band manager allows one to be in the outer glow of the spotlight a bit. They experience the world of a rock star from an intimate point of view, getting to live like through all these VH1 behind-the-scenes moments without having to get hit in the head with a flying beer bottle or end up on TMZ. And while band members get to sleep off last night's vodka and journey karaoke night that was held on the opening band's bus till 3 a.m., band managers have to be back at work dealing with an entire manual of situations from negotiating deal points and controlled compositions, deciphering the difference between mechanical royalties and public performance ones, handling the ins and outs of merchandising to touring, and when to say yes to Conan and no to MTV. And yes, it has been done. It's been said that a successful band manager is a lot of being in the right place at the right time. And Keith Lazarchak of Absolute Management Group can best be described as being in the right spot right now. Keith manages four unique bands, each in a different spot in their youthful careers. The brand new and unsigned The Bigger Lights, Every Avenue, who are pushing their first release on Fearless Records, Set Your Goals, a warped tour favor that lost momentum over the past few years and who are now, thanks to Keith, revving up for another climb up the rock ladder. And All Time Low, the hot scenester band on Hopeless Records who are selling out records and clubs nationwide. And they are also on the AP Tour this March and April. Okay, okay, there's the plug. As often is the case, band managers usually are created by a young band turning to their best friend who was good in accounting back in high school and saying, hey, you want to manage the band? Uh, you're the only one among us that seems to be mature and you don't smoke pot. Well, before you go and say yes, listen to what Keith has to say. This is Mike Shea. I want to start off uh, with with, uh, with a statement that I know Jason Pettigrew would appreciate. Um, it, there's, there's the old line that music critics are failed musicians. So band managers are failed at everything else they tried to do. <laughs> <laughs> that bad? Yeah, pretty that, much. That bad? No. Um, what What got you into being a manager? I mean, it's actually um, I used to be a show promoter in uh, like Fairfax, Virginia, outside of Washington D.C. And uh, eventually I ran my own festival called Flipside Festival that we did for four years and really met a lot of bands through that. And um, actually a friend of mine had a band and asked me to help, you know, manage them and start working with them, not really knowing what I was doing. And I kind of, you know, started working with that band. It's called A Driving East. They're actually on Militia Group right now. And um, through that, I just started to get involved and in saying, wow, I really, really like doing this. I'm really into it. And uh, I was actually at a show with Driving East on tour, 
and I was asleep in the back of a venue and these kids were on stage playing and I was like, wow, this band is just like murdering. They're just killing and it was all time low. And so after the show, I went up and talked to them and, you know, that's kind of, you know, the rest kind of happened from there. So, so but what, what caused you to um, consider managing? I mean, was it something that somebody just kind of came up to you and said, hey, we trust you? Yeah, I mean, I had always loved the music business. Um, I had actually managed way back in the day, and everybody rags on me for this. I managed like a little kid's rap group like 10 hey, years ago. Awesome. <laughs> like when Crisscross was hot, you know, I had this little uh, rap group. And yeah, it, they had a couple like label auditions. Nothing really happened with it. And then uh, you know, I just kind of got into promoting shows and doing that in the D.C. area. And then I, when this opportunity with Driving East came up, I decided to see if I could jump back into it. So, so what attracts you to it, though? I mean, what, it's, what is it about the management thing? Is it being your own boss? Is it um, uh, trying to uh, the caretaking end of it? What is it? I mean, for me, and this might sound a little hokey, but it's it's taking somebody who has these these talents and this quote unquote dream and and helping them get in the right position to you know make it a reality. Is you know, like I when I first was talking to Set Your Goals about managing them, it was I could see how passionate they were about their their music, and I that was one of the things I wanted them to understand that. For me, I'm, I understand this is your dream, and it's my dream too. And it's like together we can get to where you want to be. And I also think that anytime I'm picking up a new band, it's a band that I don't want to change. You know, I want to find bands that I love everything about them, whether they're completely different than other bands I have or whatever. And so for me, it's just getting a chance to, to be around these people that are so passionate about what they do and, and helping them get to hopefully the next level or wherever they want to be. And just watching them grow is pretty amazing. Like seeing All Time Low, meeting them as high school kids who were just like a big local band, mm-hmm. and now watching them you know, play in front of like two, 3,000 kids is, is pretty remarkable. So. When you were doing the concert promoting, was it something that you saw, um, you know, was it a mixture of hearing bands kind of come in and say, yeah, we got a manager and they're not doing this and that and they're full of crap? Or is it something where you actually saw managers in action being that concert promoter because you had to deal with them sometimes and they came in and you got to do the payouts and so forth and, and you're just like, wow, I could do so much better than this guy's doing it. Well, I mean... A little, I, bit, of, a little bit of any, both of those? Or uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I just, I mostly dealt with booking agents mm-hmm. and, you know, I dealt with a lot of tour managers and for me it was good dealing with the booking agents from a promoter standpoint so that when I then got into it as a manager, I kind of knew what booking agents did what, what their strong suits were, and, you know, who I wanted to kind of put my bands with. So that was, a you know, an important relationship. But, I mean, I've always been fascinated by the music business, and I've always wanted to be a part of it, and I kind of I kind of stumbled upon it, but I found out that it was really something that I was very passionate about. Was there something else you were going to do with your life? Um, I was actually in a sports Besides and recreation. the rap, the hip-hop groups? <laughs> yeah. Well, I was actually in a sports and recreation management. That was like my, my regular career. I like worked for the county government. Oh, cool. And uh, so I ran a rec center. And uh, Hey, you know, somebody's got, somebody's <laughs> got to make sure that the swimming pool's clean. Exactly. Right, right. right. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, um, who do you think is the most important contact relationship? Let me say that. Who's the most important relationship for a band manager? You got to be good, tight with anybody from the booking agent to the attorney to the accountant to the record company person to whatever. Who is like the most important person? Wow. I mean, for me, it's it's the relationship with the band, of course, is first and foremost. I mean, I I feel like there's always open lines of communications with me and the band, and there's no set schedule. Like I'm available pretty much 24 hours a day, seven days a week to talk to them, and you know I get text messages at all time of the you know, the night, whenever. So, and there's like 
no days off because of that. It's a good job in the sense that there's a lot of flexibility because you, you don't have to be tied to an office necessarily, but you know, you're always just at their disposal, and I think you have to be that way. But I think there's not one other person that's most important to me. It's like you have to be able to have a relationship with everyone. You're kind of the middleman in the sense that you deal with the publicist, you deal with the agent, you deal with the lawyer, you deal with the label, and you have to balance, you know, your artist needs and, you know, what the label wants, what those other people need from you. And so it's kind of, you have to be able to multitask and you have to be able to keep a lot of people happy. But at the end of the day, my job is to, you know, represent the rights and the best interests of the artist. And, you know, sometimes that's going to lead to friction, you know, with other people. But at the end of the day, it's it's their career and it's their call as to what decisions they make. It might not be what the booking agent wants them to do or what the mm-hmm. lawyer wants them to do or definitely not what the label wants them to right. do. So, But it's their call. And so that's what I always keep foremost. I never make decisions for my bands. I make recommendations. But at the end of the day, it's always their decision as to what they're going to do. So I was going to ask you this a little bit later on, but I'm going to ask you now because you brought it up. Um, is there personal time? For being a man, band manager, is there ever that time that's off? Not totally. No, I don't think it is. But maybe other people have different ways of doing things. I'm really close to my bands, so for me, there is no off time because they're my friends, but they're also people that I work with business wise. And you know, there is a line as far as you know. We're different age groups. You know, we're not hanging out every day, but. We definitely talk a lot about personal issues about a lot of things. So, you know, if they break up with their girlfriend or something like that, I'll, I'll get a text message about that. <laughs> how do you how do you end up, um, you know, so many, for younger bands especially, they they tend to kind of grab their closest friend who seems to be the business person. Right. And that's all of a sudden the band manager. Right. And, um, and, and that relationship that's already a friendship then turns into a business relationship, which changes the dynamics of right. how you work together. So how do you, as you get to know your, as you've gotten, especially with Set Your Goals, you just picked them managing up uh, last July or June, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, and they are kind of reassembling themselves right. now and trying to uh, and uh, kind of go on to the next phase of their career, take themselves up a couple of rungs. So as you've gotten to know them, how do you kind of watch that line between friendship and then the, the being the business person where, you know, uh, you know, when, when you're the head, somebody's got to be the dick. Right, definitely. And I had a case with that today where, you know, we were talking about some issues and, you know, you kind of had to like set it straight as to far as what I feel and you know maybe it rubs people the wrong way but set your goals is a different dynamic because they've pretty much been self-managed their whole careers and they have a very strong idea of what they want to do and they have a strong belief in you know their music and their scene so it's like there's a lot of different personalities so for me it's it's balancing all the personalities in that band but so far, so good. We haven't had the, you know, the problems where they don't listen to me, they don't respect my opinion. But once again, like I said, it's just my opinion. It's not me telling them they have to do something. So from that standpoint, I think it works better. But with Driving East, the band that I used to work with, we were friends first. And that kind of led to a situation where I would make suggestions and it was just like, you know, this is our friend talking to us. And so when we parted ways, it was probably better for both parties involved because you know, maybe they'd listen to someone on the outside that wasn't their friend that they hung out with, that they grew up with, or whatever. So, you know, from the that, picture they had of you was was difficult to see. You know, like, oh, that's just what's he saying? Exactly, and then, exactly. Right. And it, and I think maybe people on the outside 
you know, look at me differently than somebody who, you know, has been hanging out with me for five years. Without so. naming, you know, because I, I don't want to, I don't, I'm not trying to um, be TMZ and start, start drama, but um, but uh, without naming names and so forth, I mean, do, have you ever had a situation where you've had to put that foot down and all of a sudden one of the band members won't talk to you for a week? No. So you have to talk to somebody else? Uh, somebody else is like, you know, they, yeah, stay away from blah, 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 because... Not with the bands really on my current roster, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but it has happened. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely yeah. happened, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, a band member and me were really close, and, you know, he had, like, I'd let him live in my house and a lot of things, and it's, yeah, it just, it didn't end well, but... So is the rule of thumb, don't manage your friends? I, I, I kind of think so, yeah. I mean, it... I don't want to say it can't work, but in my case, it, it didn't work. So, you know. Do you find yourself having to put distance, uh, I guess, remind yourself to put some distance so that you don't get so close, so wrapped up in that girlfriend fight, right. that uh, relative death situation? Uh, maybe the particular band member um, has become vulnerable on some some issue or another, and you kind of have to keep some distance back to keep some perspective on it so that you don't get kind of tied up into the emotional aspects of it and then you end up, you know, maybe not doing what's best for everybody involved. But Yeah, definitely. I think you have to, you know, always remind yourself that you're there for the the good of the band and the, the betterment of everybody. But, you know, you have to balance it because these are people that mean a lot to my life and, you know, these are people that, you know, have invested a lot of trust in me. So in in a sense, you know, I have a debt to them, you know, in that sense that... I feel really blessed and lucky that, you know, like somebody like All Time Low, who's just amazingly talented kids, have, you know, trusted me to kind of guide the way, you know, guide their careers. And so for me, that means a lot. So um, Now, Absolute Management Group is, is the company, and Nano Tassara works with you. Mm-hmm. And describe um, how the two of you met and, and what your ultimate goals are for the company. It's weird because um, I met Nano like four years ago and he was playing in a local band that wanted to play on my festival and so he was kept emailing me and he was like look I'll sell you know 100 tickets if you let us open it was actually a Fall Out Boy was like the headliner Fall Out Boy and Sugar Call were headlining that year and uh, he's like I gotta forgettable play bands forgettable yeah yeah, yeah. Band, he's like I gotta play with Fall Out Boy and so uh, I met this kid and he was like so like business savvy and I was like wow this is cool and I figured he was like in college turned out at the time he was 15 and I was like and he just has like this amazing ear and once he uh he stopped uh, playing in his band, which was garbage. Anyway, and he, he knows it, and he's listening. But anyway, uh, once he started playing, stopped playing in his band, uh, you know, he started working with me with All Time Low, with Driving East, and uh, you know, just one thing led to another. Now he has this great band on Fearless called The Morning Light that he just got signed, mm-hmm. and then we managed the bigger lights together. And uh, yeah, he's just he's like a real up and coming, you know, person in the business. I really feel like he's got all the tools to. You know, be that next generation. What's the what? What is the yin and the yang in this relationship with him? I mean, is is one of you the idea guy? The other one's the financial guy. Is it? Is there kind of that kind of a, a dichotomy to the relationship? He's like dichotomy. very much a grassroots guy. Like he's good at finding the bands that nobody knows about. At you know, sitting on MySpace and finding those bands and bring them to me. And he does a lot of like the tour booking when bands don't have agents. And then I do a lot more of maybe the networking with the labels and the. Uh, you know, things like this, and then mm-hmm. dealing with attorneys, stuff like that. But, you know, with the morning light, this is all, you know, it's been all his baby. And it's like, at first, we were kind of doing it together. But it was his band. And it's like, I could see how passionate he was about it. And I was like, you should just do this. You know, this is your band. You know what you're doing. So we should add the morning light underneath this group? Of yeah, four? yeah. I mean, okay. they're... So it's actually five. Right. They're with the company, but it's not something that, you know, falls under my... Uh, 
okay. jurisdiction. So yeah, to I speak. see, I see, yeah. I see. Now you're working with with uh, Hopeless with All Time Low. Mm-hmm. You're working with uh, Eulogy still with Set Your Goals because yes. I thought the thing was that they were getting signed to a bigger company at one point, and that's Set Your Goals is on Eulogy. Okay. I I won't go down that any farther than that. Um, Fearless, uh, it's got every avenue. Mm -hmm. Uh, You said, uh, uh, who was was the morning light? Fearless also. Fearless. Mm -hmm. So you got two acts on Fearless. Um, Is there there a pro to have more of your bands on one label versus like having them spread out? Um, I like having them spread out in the sense that it's, it gets you a feel of, you know, what labels are strong at and, you know, really gets you a sense of, how everything is done, especially coming in as a new manager, you know, not having dealt with labels. I guess Militia Group was the first label I dealt with. And, you know, it's been a good experience to see how different labels run their uh, run their business. So um, this is a new experience having two bands on Fearless because I just picked up Every Avenue about three months ago and um, The Morning Light just signed to Fearless. So, so far, so good. I mean, I just love what Fearless is doing right now. I really feel like that label is headed in the right direction and, you know, they're very willing to spend money and support the band. So, you know, so far, so good. But it's hard to say. I, I kind of like it being spread out. I like all the bands have different booking agents. The only constant is usually the attorney. I have, like, one attorney that I like to refer my bands mm-hmm. to. But besides that, I like to spread it out. So, When you're a band manager and you've got the uh, – and you're working with a label, um, is, how difficult is it to get um, – your bands made the priority or is it really just kind of come down to if the band's talented and they sell then it's that easy can a band manager make something out of maybe something that isn't going so hot yeah i mean i think you can i think you can put your bands in position to be successful like we put the morning light on tour with all time low and every avenue is on tour with all time low right now so it's like i think you can use some of your connections or with your other bands to make your band more relevant and more important to the label. But yeah, with, with all time low, it just, it took off so quick. And I think they really became, you know, hopeless's priority and, you know, hopeless has done a great job making it that way. It'll be interesting to see how it goes on fearless. Cause you know, they have bands like Mayday Parade and even the main, that's really a hot young band. Mm-hmm. And so, so far I haven't noticed any, you know, difference in the support. So it seems like they're focused on, really making all the bands, you know, relevant and making them successful. So how much, how much control or I guess, um, not control, but how much are you keeping an eye on everything the labels do with your acts from once the record starts being talked about being produced and recorded and so forth? How much are you actually like in touch with the label and watching everything they're doing from the promotion department to the marketing department to the, you know, the accounting to booking and so forth? Um, a lot. I mean, with, especially with like hopeless and fearless, um, you know, we're, we talk to the people there every week, every other day. It seems like I'm on the phone with hopeless every day, you know, dealing with, uh, some issue. And I think that there's a lot of email communication going on. So yeah, we're very involved. It's like, I don't ever try to tell them how to do their job because, you know, these labels have been around a long time and they're Mm -hmm. very successful, but you know, there's certain things that I know how our band wants to be portrayed or things like that, that. You know, we try to keep a hand in. But once again, I always try to communicate that to the bands also. Uh, well, you've heard the stories, I know, and as much as we've we've heard it at AP, but the, you know, you, you talk to people at labels and, and you start, you, you bring up the word manager and they go, oh God, I hate that guy. <laughs> he always calls up and he's like, why am I not on the cover of 
spin. What the hell? Blah, blah, blah. You know, so yeah. it's like, how do you keep the relationship with people at the labels for all those people out there that want to be band managers? Right. How do you keep that relationship from going that way? I mean, is it, a, is, is it being a, you know, be reasonable, but I mean, was there certain rules of engagement that you should have with the people that are working your band? Well, yeah, I think you have to be reasonable first off. I think we have good communication with all the labels and I think they, you know, we're never like demanding and yelling about things. But I mean, we bring up points like, you know, this band is doing this, you know, can we look into this for us? And so far, you know, all the labels have been very receptive to doing that. You know, there's certain things that we believe, you know, we should get money to do this or money to do that. And the label doesn't, you know, see eye to eye with us on that. But I mean, it, to us, you get you get more results by having a good communication and by having a a harmonious relationship with the label than to just be like yelling and complaining and that's one of the I've had a situation with a band where they wouldn't talk to the label before I became involved as their manager and then you know slowly repairing you know whether it was miscommunication or whether it was things that people had actually done wrong to each other it's like we're getting a lot further by you know opening mm -hmm. those lines of communication and at the end of the day it makes sense to be successful for all parties, you know. I mean, for the label to make money, for the band to make money, for hopefully someday me to make money. So you know, it's <laughs> it's good. <laughs> hopefully, yeah, hopefully. Yes, right, right. Uh, I mean, it's it sounds like I mean, with all of your bands that are uh, in all time lows in a little bit different situation because they are very hot. Um, right. uh, and and all of a sudden the relationships I found with labels is all of a sudden the label will will automatically do things for the band, right. and and you don't have to ask them. But would you say by and large? managers should keep in mind that it seems like from what you're saying is that you're always constantly having to resell the band to the label. Definitely. Somebody at the label, you got to keep reselling it. You got to keep repitching them. You got to keep reminding them. You got to keep re-everything. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think it. it's not that we look at all the other bands that are like at the same level, but if, you know, a certain band that's like near the same level of all-time low is doing an opportunity, it's like it's our duty and our job to investigate it and bring it up to the label and we, you want to make sure that your band is always at the front of their, you know, front of their thoughts because they do have a, especially like Fearless has a lot of bands on their roster. And so you always got to chime in and let them know that you're still here. And, you know, you want to let them know positive things that your band is doing too. Like if the tour is selling out or, you know, how merch is going to show them that, yeah, this band is doing the things to, to make positive steps. Because, you know, if we're booking a, a lot of great tours, you know, we're selling a lot of merch on the road that would encourage the label to, you know, put more money into our band. So just yeah. out of curiosity, how can what is the what is the barometer for you and Nano to to determine how well a band is doing? You know, on that on that on that uh graph chart where it's going up or down and up and down. Is it the merch sales? Is it the ticket counts? Is it the downloads? Is it what is it? Like is there a certain one that you guys always watch like almost daily and go, all right, we're all right. And then as soon as it dips, we're like, fuck <laughs> <laughs> Gotta yell at somebody. I mean, it it varies from band to band, but I know with uh, like All Time Low, we really study like you know the merch count, like what they're doing per head, you know, and uh, they have a great tour manager who uh, sends us counts every day, how many kids were at the show, what the ticket counts were, what the merch count, you know, the per head count was. So I mean, that's a big barometer for them. It's I think it's different with every band. With Set Your Goals, it's not about record sales, because when I first started managing them, and I looked at the SoundScan numbers, and it was like. Mutiny had sold like 12,000 copies. And then I went to see them live on their headlining tour, and they're bringing like three, 400 kids a night. So it's like, wait a second, this doesn't add up, you know. But clearly those kids that are into Set Your Goals are just taking the record off the Internet. But they have this amazing draw live. 
And also, kids don't in that genre don't necessarily buy as much merch usually, but their merch numbers are pretty much through the roof. And they do almost the same kind of merch numbers that All Time Low would do, which, you know, isn't usually the case with that type of band. And then with every avenue, we're trying to monitor, like, the new friend requests and the plays that we're getting per day leading up to the, you know, the release of the full length because they're such a new band that um, they don't have that established fan base. Like, I even talked to uh, the people at Fearless. Like, when Mayday came in, they had sold, like, 10,000 EPs on Warped Tour, so they had, like, this fan base. So they pretty much knew that that record was going to do well first week, whereas I think with Every Avenue, it's, like, more of a patience thing, and we're looking at building for the long term. And um, so I don't want to get frustrated or anything and say it has to do, you know, 3,000 first week or it has to do 5,000. Whereas, like, when the new all-time low record came out, we were all, like sitting by our Blackberries, you know, waiting for the sound scan numbers to come in. And we're like, God, if it does 10, we'll be happy, you know. So I think And you ended up doing what? Uh, 14.5, I think, first So you week. were happy. Yeah, we were really happy. Bottle know? of wine that night. Yeah, yeah exactly. A couple. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think... On the band. Yeah, right, yeah. no, never would do that. <laughs> I think it's definitely uh, different barometers for different bands. So, and you can't look at them all the same because there's different expectations. And I don't expect, you know, set your goals being on a maybe a smaller label and a different type of music to do maybe the same kind of CD sales that, you know, All Time Low would do. One, one more question before we take a uh, music break, but um, we've kind of debated this back and forth at AP, but um, is a band's popularity, can it be directly related to how many friends they have on MySpace? I don't think so. I mean, no? I don't want to... Uh... What's your rule of thumb? You know, it's like for every record is sold, there's probably been two that's downloaded. So there's kind of right. like that theory out yeah. there. So like, is there? A th- do you guys have a rule of thumb when you kind of sit there and go, okay, this unsigned band has 152,000 friends. So that probably means... It was funny. Nano had a great point about this the other day because he's really like in tune to the internet. And he was some band had contacted us about managing them, and they had like an just insane amount of friends, like a hundred thousand friends. And he was like, "I can't believe that these friends are real," <laughs> you know. So he's like, "Let's tell them to put the record up on iTunes and see how it sells," you know. And it's like, I mean, some people just I don't know if they're buying friends or whatever the case is, but. I can't, I don't always see it. It also, it's how long has a band been up there? If you've been up there five years, you know, and you have, you know, a certain number of friends and another band has been there for five weeks. So, you know, I just, I, I don't trust the MySpace friends that much, but it definitely is a good tool to get the word out about your band. You know, the fact that like All Time Low has 170,000 friends or whatever, it, it definitely helps not only get word out about their band, but the other projects that we're involved with which they always get mad at us when we ask them if we can send email blasts about the morning light or every avenue out on their uh, their MySpace. <laughs> well, let's let's play some uh let's play some music from uh the baby ones. Okay. Uh tell me two songs from two of your baby bands that you would want the listeners of this podcast to hear. Ooh. Hmm. You mean from uh, every avenue in the bigger lights yeah. or Ooh. Let's see. Um from the bigger lights, definitely romance and a slow dance. Okay, that's definitely a good one. It's a little different. And uh, from every avenue, definitely uh, think of you later. Empty room, which okay. is just like to us, we all hear it and we're like, this is just a radio smash. And so it's like it's not something that we would like lead with as the first single because you know that's not something you really would do on an indie label. But you know, it's definitely it's like a, a definitely mainstream record. So we're really we're really happy with the record.
I was looking at the Bigger Lights uh, MySpace page this morning, and uh, it just reminded me how young a lot of these bands are and how many of them are still in high school or just on that, like half of them are in high school, the other half are 18 graduated, 19 graduated. Um, What sort of issues do you have to deal with um, being a band manager with dealing with members that are that young that maybe people don't typically think of? I mean, we always think of, oh, the 21 and over and the bar thing. but right. Well, it's funny, like, when we first started working with All Time Low, I remember going to their, like, their house and, like, meeting with all the parents and, like, having, like, the round table when we, like, discussed the uh, the hopeless They were scrutinizing offer. you like you guys were going to date them or something oh, like that? Oh, definitely. Yeah, right. It's like, it's right. like what who is get? this guy and <laughs> what does he know? And at that time, I really right. didn't know that much. So, you know, it, it was just kind of explaining to them whatever I did know. But in their case, their parents are amazingly supportive and... I know they would tell you too. They wouldn't be there if it wasn't for them. But yeah, there's definitely, it's weird having to like call somebody's parents or something and say like, I need so-and-so to go on this show. It's really important, you know, or or even for a parent to trust, you know, me taking their kid like out of town to go for a, uh, you know, an audition for a label or whatever. So it's definitely, it's definitely can be a touchy subject, but it's also like when they're in high school, I know it's like everybody supposedly, everybody drinks and all that, but when they were in high school, like, I didn't try to drink around them or do those kind of things, you know, just because, you know, I just met them and they're, you know, I know their parents and their parents kind of put their trust in me. So from that standpoint, you do have to balance it a little bit. It's not like, do you ever have to get into that sort of situation? Again, I'm, I'm trying not to cause drama, but uh, do you ever get into that situation where you kind of deal with theater parents? You know, the one that's like, you know, it's uh, like, you know, my daughter should have been the lead in this play. What the hell's the matter with you? I mean, it's like you ever kind of get sometimes the parents that are a little bit more hands-on to the point of, you know, being Britney Spears' mom? No, luckily I haven't. You know, they've been amazing. Like I said, they're amazingly supportive. And like Alex from All Time Low, his dad is the business manager and he's retired now. So he handles like all the books and, you know, all the stuff with the incorporation and everything. So from that standpoint, they've just been all supportive and I've been lucky that I haven't had that. And uh, one of the members of the Morning Light is actually 17 also, but so far so good with that. You know, Nano's, Nano's had, you know, discussions with the parents, but it hasn't been any problems. But so. it has to be. I mean, to a certain extent, you have to play the role of a parent or at least an uncle. Oh, definitely. When definitely. you know when they're when you're out on the road because you're not only you know dealing with these guys' careers, but you're also raising them. Oh yeah, definitely. And it's like a very warped way to be raised. <laughs> you know, especially like like Harrison from The Morning Light. He's been on tour with bands since he was 14 years old, and it's like, what is? How is you have it? You don't have a normal you know upbringing like the rest of us. You know, it's definitely. They live a, a different existence, you know, they, they're in, the, in a tour bus and, you know, it's not, they don't go to school like a regular kid and they have a job and that's the other thing. It's like reminding them that this is a job, you know, it's like, yeah, it's fun and, you know, there's parties and there's drinking, but at the end of the day, this is your job. So it's like, you can't go on stage hammered and, you know, all those kind of things because, you know, it can all go away very quickly and it's like, you wouldn't show up at your job. At alternative press, you wouldn't be hammered, probably. Well, we may write a uh, we may we may write a bad review, I think. But um, but you know, as uh, you kind of brought that up, saying you know you can't go on stage hammered and stuff like that. So, what kind of issues are, you, are do you have to deal with when you're essentially raising a musician on the road? What sort of things are you having to deal with? I mean, do you do you uh, you know? You know, it's is it? It's kind of like do you have to kind of shape up attitudes a little bit, or you got to grow them up a little bit, or you start getting into like you know, this is how you treat a girl, and you know that sort of do you do the do you do their birds and bees talks to that sort of no, stuff? No, I too? think they're way far ahead of it's us. Far, yeah, probably, okay, yeah. All right, okay. <laughs> but no, I 
I, I, I mean, I'm to, being sarcastic, but you know right. what I'm saying. I hate to uh, paint like this great picture, but it really hasn't been any problems like that. It's maybe I'm just lucky, but I really haven't had to deal with any of those problems. I don't have band members that have drug problems or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, people aren't skipping shows. They're not. You know, the worst case it might be like you know somebody has wants to do something with their girlfriend or family and they don't want me to book something for that weekend. You know, that's that's about it. It's like there's they're all really dedicated to what they're doing and. You know, they don't want to go to school. They want to do this. So it's like, <laughs> I remember Jack telling me uh, from All Time Low that his dad is a doctor and, and, you know, trying to sit down and explain to his father that he wasn't going to college, you know, was like the end of the world. Were you, you know? involved in that conversation? No, I wasn't. He handled that on his own. But, but were, you, were you kind of the coach on the side with the talking points? A little bit, Debate yeah. coach? Yeah, yeah. Just explain to him, you know, like this is a once-in-a-lifetime kind of opportunity and the momentum that this so band what was has the, what was So what were the points? Well, I mean, yeah, because this is a big conversation. A lot of bands, you know, they go through this. They're like, mom, dad. Well, for them, it was a little easier because, I mean, it would be different if you were graduating from high school and you're like, I want to get in this van with my friends and tour around the country and play in front of three people and hope we get a record deal. You know, at least they had a record deal, and that was part of their plan. They're like evil plan at the beginning that <laughs> they're like we want to get signed before we get out of high school because that's like justification to our parents that we're a professional band. We're actually doing this for a living, and so. That was one of the things that the deck was stacked in our favor because they had a record deal. You know, they had a booking agent that was interested. They had a great lawyer. You know, they were going on these tours and playing in front of kids. And, you know, for a startup band, that's rare. And it's like now the parents have watched it where every time they come back home, they're playing in front of 500 kids and they're playing in front of 1,000 and they're playing in front of 1,500 and they see their kids on MTV. So, so far, so good. You know, I'm sure if it if it stops growing at this rate, then like, you know, Dr. Barricat will come knocking on my door asking me why his son isn't in college. But Jack said when his dad was like talking to him, he was just like, no, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Like he just had his hands on his ears and he's just like, I'm going to do this. So, and they've been amazingly supportive, even though I'm sure there's a part of them going, what is he doing? <laughs> my son's in his underwear on the internet instead of in college. So. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if you got any phone calls off of that uh, off of that advertising campaign. Yeah, I got a um, one of the the fathers. I won't say who. He was just right. like, "That's just wrong." He was just like, "That's just wrong," and that was kind of the point that it was just it's so wrong. It's so, right. So, yeah. all right, let's talk about that from a marketing standpoint because a lot of bands go through a lot of young bands like you know because it's all dependent on you know and the really it, it, I get a lot of MySpace hit ups from young bands like, "How do I break? How mm-hmm. do I do it?" And I'm like, fortunately, unfortunately, a lot of it has to know with has to do with who you know. Right. And then the second one is how do you get yourself noticed? Right. And so when you see the underwear ad campaign that All, All Time Low did with this record to kind of launch it, um, and, you know, well, did Chiodo steal that idea for our cover? I don't know. Um, either way, because um, we – so the audience knows it, it, by accident, complete accident, right. Chiodos we, – we actually had a whole setup for our co- cover with Chiodos. And then Chiodos at the last second made an agreement with the photographer almost on the spot of the day of the photo shoot. said, why don't we just do this in underwear? And we had no idea you guys were doing this thing with the ads. And right. so then Chiodos ends up on our cover in their underwear. And the same issue, your ad campaign started with – so it was our underwear issue. Right. Um, but – uh, you know, is it is, is it does there kind of come a situation where um, I guess how do how how does a band get noticed? I mean, does it always kind of have to go to that route where you have to just kind of go over the top? I mean, I don't think so. I think that that's just all time most personality, and that's the other thing. It's anyone who thinks that it's me or hopeless or anybody saying you should be in your underwear. No, it's totally them. I mean, the original idea was 
they wanted to be at a nudist colony playing ping pong with a bunch of naked old people and like the paddles covering certain parts. So it's, like, it's kind of actually toned down from where they wanted it to be. But I think the main thing that bands can do, and I know that All Time Low did this as they were starting up and Set Your Goals is great about this, is become friends with other bands. I think that's the best way to get noticed, to have, whether it's, you know, Cute Is What We Aim For, who, you know, took All Time Low out on the road when they were first starting. And it's like just getting bands who are a little more established to to become your friend and to believe in what you're doing, it, it's just invaluable. I mean, you can't buy, you know, the kind of advertisement mm-hmm. and the kind of trust that, like, kids have if, you know, if Shant sends out something on his MySpace saying, you know, check this band out, you know, kids are going to listen to it. Or if, you know, like The Main the other day, they did a video spoofing the morning light, you know, like the release of the EP and, like, traffic to the morning lights, MySpace, like, went through the roof. And that's something you can't pay for. It's not, you know, something that an ad on TV or even in a magazine can do. It's just, it's that, you know, kids want to listen to what, you know, their favorite bands have to say. But it's got to be genuine. I mean, if you're just, if I'm just funneling bands at you that, because they're with my company, it's not going to, you know, it's not going to work. Probably kids will see through it. So so I would imagine that you, it's, you know, there was uh, Escape the Fate and, mm-hmm. they, and, you know, their whole thing was, um, you know, they wanted to be huge rock stars right. and, um and unfortunately, part of that, um, whether it's in- intentionally or unintentionally, ended up getting a lot of other bands mad at them. Right. Uh, whether it was their attitude or their behavior or the way that they treated other bands or who knows. But um, but if you talk to people in the scene, there's a lot of bands that did not like them. Right. Um, uh, but they were notorious and they got press. And, right. And they got – so – and you're kind of saying is make friends with everybody. Don't – rock the boat because everybody could help each other so do you but uh, kind of putting on that other shoe though do you kind of understand the escape fate escape oh yeah fate route, i know? do i do i just and once again i'm not that familiar with that situation but i don't know if in the long term that's gonna eventually if you continue to rub people the wrong way i'm not saying they did i'm right, just saying right. if you continue to rub people the wrong way eventually you look around and when you need somebody to take you out on tour or you need some help or your record sales are down you know maybe no one's going to be there to help you out i think it's at least in our experience, you know, set your goals and um, you know, all time low. They're very much community bands. On uh, Warp Tour at the end, when Set Your Goals was done with their three week run, they ran around and they gave every single person on the tour Set Your Goals T shirt because it's like you know, it meant so much to them and they wanted to make friends and just be a part of this community and you know, and so that's definitely been a lot more valuable than saying, hey, we're rock stars. I mean, enough people are going <laughs> to hate you anyway, you know? Just, <laughs> you know? It's like, like I remember, uh, you know, one time we were playing opposite, all time I was playing opposite, uh, Bullet From My Valentine was playing on the stage next to us at Warp Tour, and like all these hardcore kids were like, you know, moshing Circle Pit, and All Time Low comes on, and, and these hardcore kids are like, you know, flicking Alex off, and he's like, I'm wearing pink booty shorts, and I have a pink guitar, what do you expect me to be playing, you know? It's like, you know, there's always going to be people that hate you, so if you can have a lot of friends, you... And that's the funny thing. It's like they were friends with the Throwdown and, you know, all these bands that you wouldn't think that they right. would be friends with. And, and that's not even to help their career. It's just, you know, it's just, it's just a big community out there in Warped Tour, so it's good. How do you keep, especially with bands in different levels of their career, how do you keep as a manager, and you've got a, a variety of bands, a number of bands you're dealing with, how do you keep the one band getting jealous of the other band either getting more attention you know, it's like, you know, all time low. They're doing really well. They're on MTV. We're not on MTV. What's right. up with that? Why, you know, is, you know, are they paying attention enough attention to us? You know, right. maybe we need to call them up and do a sit down. And, you know what I mean? It's like one of those sorts of things. I mean, how do you, how do you balance that? Well, that's one thing, reason there's really no time off because you have to be able to be attentive to everybody's needs, whether it's, 
you know, all-time low who's, you know, selling a lot of records or the bigger lights who isn't even signed. But I think that every band, because every band is different and they all need different things, you know, you just have to understand that and be able to address the needs. Like, Set Your Goals is a lot more independent, self-sufficient. They do a lot of things on their own. So, you know, I can coordinate things and, you know, help make certain deals happen. But for for me, it's just kind of overseeing what they do because they have a really, you know, definite opinion of what they want to do and their definite goals. Whereas with All Time Low, I've kind of been there since the beginning when they got signed. So, you know, I'm definitely a lot more involved day to day and I talk to them every day. So, you know, I think it's just balancing and knowing what people need and what they expect from you and, and trying to fulfill those things. But I mean, I don't know if there's jealousy, but it doesn't seem like there is. And I think that all the bands are at different levels right now. So like the bigger lights are just starting out. So they don't expect what all time low has and you know all time low is at a certain level set your goals is at their own level every avenue is just starting out so it's like everything good that's happened to them in the last three months since we've been working with them is like it's like wow it's like these things are just positive steps and they mm -hmm. they kind of felt like they've been spinning their wheels maybe for the last year or two you know it's like now they have a booking agent now they have a lawyer you know they have all these things and they're going on tours where people are actually coming and they're actually getting paid so i mean so far we've been able to balance it the weird thing is when you do have two bands on the same tour together and just making sure that you're spending enough time with both <laughs> bands and you know but i've known all time low so much longer too so it's like i'm i'm definitely closer right now than i am to every avenue so mm -hmm. you know i tend to hang out more with all time low at times but so uh, just out of curiosity do you think that there's a, when is a point that a band should get a manager and on the other side is there a point when a band should just dump the manager and self-manage? You're starting to see that a little bit more. It doesn't happen yeah, a lot, but you're right. seeing more bands, and it's kind of following that vibe of, like, why do I need a record company? Right. You know, we can do this on our own, this kind of independence feeling. I think a lot of people can, probably. I think what, where you get to a, maybe a wall is when I found with my bands is when they're on the road, especially, like, if you're in Europe, you can't address a lot of the issues that are going on with your band. Plus, you know, as managers, hopefully we have relationships with labels and relationships with you know booking agents and and other bands that hopefully we can use to you know forward your career um but i don't want to say that we you know we're the end all and the be all by any means but i think a band should definitely fire their manager when he's making a lot of money and they're sleeping on a floor you know i i run into a lot of bands who are like our old manager took you know whatever percent and you know we can't afford to to get a hotel room or we can't afford to eat on the road or you know things like that and that's you know, that's something I always tell bands when I when I first meet them. I'm like, your manager should never be making more off your band than you are. So I'm sure other managers might get mad at me for saying this, but it's definitely the case. It's like, it's like I don't want to like come in and work with a new band and start taking commission because it's like we're here to build for the long run. So if I take commission from you now to put in my pocket, you're not you don't have money to, you know, to buy more merch, to get your van fixed, to do whatever. So it's like. If we both have patience and we grow together, hopefully it'll get to a point where we're, you know, everyone's making money, which is the, which is the key. And that's what me and Nano also work for a gentleman named Chris Allen, who uh, manages the All American Rejects and Plain White Tees, and he's been a great mentor to us. And he's really instilled that in me. It's like, you know, it's not about building for the short term; it's about building for the long term. You know, it's like he doesn't need to take commission from his baby bands. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's about building them up to the point where they're more established bands. So, and that's something I've definitely taken to heart. So. Um, Kevin Lyman said in a previous podcast here, uh, he said that the, the 
the bad young managers are the, are the ones that go out on the road all the time with the band and sit around and drink their beer. <laughs> when they should be back in the office working, yeah, trying definitely. to get their deals. Definitely. I mean, there's times I feel like when I go on the road that I'm not necessarily getting everything done that I need to. I mean, you can do a lot from your BlackBerry, but it's not. It's still not the same. So it's like I try to pop in and out on the road, but I never. I don't go on tour anymore. Like when I first started working with bands, I would like go on Warp tour for like two weeks. And, I'm too old for that do now. Do you remember but. much of those two weeks by <laughs> chance? Yeah, I do, actually, because it was like we were doing it in a van. And so it's like it was just like driving from city to city. There wasn't even there wasn't any partying going on when you're in a van. No, 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 I'm <laughs> no. sure. I'm sure. Um, just out of curiosity, just uh, just because I was asked about this just the other day, um, how does a band get a good deal on a van, their first van? What should they be looking for? I mean, this is nuts and bolts <laughs> stuff, but seriously, bands got to get their first van. Do they go get something used? Yeah. I mean, do you just... What's the what's the rule of thumbs? Ooh, I don't know. That's not really uh I don't know. I know in the past, like when driving east bought their van, it was just it was a financial issue. You know, just how much money could we qualify on a loan for? So, you know, it's it's more about getting something that's gonna be reliable and solid and definitely get your mechanic to check it out. But, you know, one thing that uh driving east did do, which was great, is they had a mechanic friend that they you know, had look at it, and he gave them a lot of work at cost, so things like so that. So probably have your mechanic friend, for, first of all, network and get a mechanic friend. And exactly. Have them look at that darn thing every time you go out <laughs> exactly. of town. Right, exactly. Right. Um, uh, we're going to take another song break, but I, I do have kind of a question. You were talking about Chris Allen uh, mm-hmm. and your mentor and stuff like that. Um, and going back to the Kevin Lyman podcast, uh, I and I asked him, I was like, what are some of the mistakes that younger band managers um, make? And he said... Um, Trying to, um, uh, more or less, he was saying, trying to polish their skills on me, which is, you know, they're trying to be the tough guy yeah. and taking on somebody that's got a lot of stature, right. a lot of power, or a lot of authority and respect. So how do you, like, how does a band manager with up-and-coming bands, and in your case, all-time low uh, specifically, deal with the people that are very powerful and you kind of have to stand up for your band right. at some point. They want to pay you little. You right. want a little bit more. They right. want to not give you the support. You want a little more. How do you kind of get into the that tussle with them and not end up burning a bridge that is, you know, essential Definitely. for your career Definitely. as a manager, but also that band's future? Yeah, I've heard that, like, even from, like, label people, like, you know, this young manager's trying to, you know, strong arm me or prove that he's this or prove that he's that. But, yeah, I mean... I, you have to stand up for your bands, and hopefully people respect that. And you know, but you have to be respectful, and you have to keep in mind, like you said, the long term. Like I could get a good deal now by being a jerk, but the next time it comes around, I'm not going to get that deal, or I'm not going to get help when I need it. Um, the thing that I have been blessed with is that one, we have a great team that works with All Time Low. It's like great lawyer, great booking agent, you know, great management with Chris, you know, helping out. So, you know, and he's really instrumental in like having connections that I didn't have. And that was the thing when I first picked up All Time Low, I was actually friends with a band called Over It because I'd known mm-hmm. them from Virginia, and I actually booked their first show. I used to do shows with them growing oh, up. Wow. So okay. um, they were managed by Chris, and I had actually called Chris, and I was like, look, you got to manage this band. I was like, this band is great. They're better than you know what I can do for them. So speaking of All Time Low, and he was like, look, you know, if I had raised a band from you know, wherever. I wouldn't want somebody to come in and steal them from me or to take all the credit. He's like, so you tell me how you want this to work. Do you want to co-manage? Do you want me to mentor? You know, what do you want me to do? And so from that standpoint, I really respected him because he's come in and he's allowed me to 
learn, make some mistakes, but have his connections and have his wisdom and insight that maybe things that I didn't know. And, you know, you sure you give up like, you know, a chunk of your money or whatever, but in the end you get so much more and the band gets so much more out of it. So yeah, Chris has been instrument, very instrumental. And, you know, he works for Pat Magnarella who mm-hmm. manages Green Day and the Goo Goo Dolls. And so it's like just having that network of people or just that, that knowledge around you. One time I was sitting in Pat's office and I'm just like, you know, he manages Green Day. You know, it's like, it's just very surreal having them talk. And I'm like talking about set your goals. You know, it's like, it's just like a very surreal thing. So, yeah, it's it's been a, it's been great, the people that, you know, we've been able to work with. So. Is, do you have a rule of thumb for yourself? Like, I, I had a great uh, attorney early on in AP, and he was a great mentor. And uh, uh, and one of his biggest pieces of advice that I ever got out of him was that where he said, don't don't become Sue happy. You know, don't don't be the litigious guy. Right. And d- when you're negotiating for something that's getting a little difficult or heated or um, politically delicate, um, how do you uh, – usually a lot of managers, a lot of business people will make the mistake because they get too stubborn and they won't budge. So how do you know you? it's time to make that um, uh, compromise versus uh, standing up for your artist's needs? Is there like a point in time where you're like, okay, well, yeah, is it I the mean, tone of the conversation? Is it the, I mean, what is it? What's, is it usually a light that goes out and says, okay, it's time? Yeah, it's kind of a, I think it's a gut feeling, hopefully, that that hopefully is is accurate. I mean, sometimes it can be the tone of the discussion, but more than anything with me, it gets to a point where I look at, is this going to have a negative effect on the band if I go here with this? I mean, there's always going to be things that we want for the band, you know, that we feel the band deserves or they've gotten to a certain point. And it's like, how much do we fight for? Are we going to risk, you know, long-term effects for $500 here? Or, you know, it's like mm-hmm. I, I always look at the long-term effect on the band be, to whether I'm going to push or not and what, what, the, uh, what the ramifications can be. Hmm. So. All right, so let's, let's think of all-time low and set your goals. Um, and give me two songs. Uh, off of uh, their latest releases that you like but aren't the ones that usually are played? Uh, All-time low, definitely Poppin' Champagne because I think it's like it's really a different kind of song for them. And actually on this headline tour they've been on, it's like been getting a great crowd response. And I don't think any of us knew how people were going to react to it because it's a little more of a dancey song. Hmm. And set your goals. I'm just going to go with Echoes just because oh, it's, yeah, great. it's the brand new video that they have coming out. So they actually, great story behind it is they uh, worked with VH1 Save the Music Foundation and they had these t-shirts printed up where like a certain amount of the proceeds would go towards VH1 Save the Music and the rest went towards them funding the video. Hmm. So they paid for this video out of their own pockets and they got the, you know, the crew and the director and everybody to work at cost. And so hopefully that video will be out in February or March. It'll be up on their MySpace. And yeah, it'll be oh, up yeah. on the MySpace. And they're going to try to do like a little premiere in San Francisco and everything. But they're really That's proud great. of it because it's, you know, it's a song that means a lot to them. And it's also something that, you know, the not, nothing against the label, but the label didn't pay for it. They did it themselves. So you know, Very the, DIY. It's yeah, the 21st definitely. century. You've got me popping champagne. I'm at it again.
there's a place for me somewhere out there I know, I know, I know that there's a place for me somewhere I'm caught in between the nights and days fly by when I'm lost on the streets My eyes say despise you for who I am Why don't you say so? Why don't you say so? Give up and let go I'm just a boy with a dream If you can take more and look as I'm falling between With my eyes just as wide as my mouth can be Why don't you say so? Why don't you say so?
When we had Under Oath in here, uh, and Jason interviewed them, they were talking about some of the crazy um, uh, fan stories that they've had to go through and situations they've had to deal with, and, and sometimes some of the mothers of some of the fans coming in and chastising the band members, saying, you know, we just drove, you know, two hours to get here. You better be signing my daughter's, uh, you know, CD, or, you know, I'm going to be really upset with you, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, do you have any fan stories or anything kind of like those absurd um, stories that get recalled on the tour bus going, oh, my God, remember when we were in Memphis and blah, blah, blah? Oh, wow, I don't know what I should talk about. But uh, <laughs> All-Time Low tends to be... All names and places yeah, have been yeah, changed. Yeah. And they, right. they tend to be very um, uh, profane, but in a, in a funny way. Like, that's just, everything's a joke. So there's definitely been... You know, parents who have been shaking their heads, and I know that parents have come up to the band and, you know, said some things like, you shouldn't be saying what you're saying you know, about my daughter or whatever, just, you know, making jokes and about the audience and things like that. And I know when they were on tour with Boys Like Girls, we went to the first night of the tour, and I was up in, like, this box seat area where there were a lot of parents who were, like, brought their kids, like, their 12-year-old kids or whatever, and, and it's a very TRL crowd, and, you know, All Time Low gets out there, and they're just, like, you know... I don't know what I can say on this you podcast, can say, but say what you, want. you know, and it's like, you know, Jack's like, we'll be over there, you know, touching dicks after the show. And like, I just see these mothers just getting red faced, like ready to walk their kids out. So it's, it's, you never know how a parent's going to react. Some, sometimes people get it that it's just a joke. They're not, you know, being serious. They played a show in Connecticut recently and uh, they were just, just all over the place, the things that they were saying. And this mother comes up to me with what must be a 10 or 11 year old girl. And she's like, are you the manager? And I was like, depends <laughs> and she's like we have seen them five times and this was by far the best show ever i was like then i'm the manager <laughs> so you know it's like you never know how people are going to react even when you know whether they, when they put did out did you the, give her a free t-shirt <laughs> yeah, no, just like, for her like, thank you, <laughs> you know, it's like, you were ready to call the police at that point oh, yeah. or the ambulance service one or the other oh. um yeah i how what is the relationship you know bands ask me they're like um especially uh, especially older bands that were used to the old way mm -hmm. in the music industry. The label took care of everything and the manager took everything. And now it's, the band's got to take care of a right, lot, right. a lot. So what do you tell bands uh, about how they should be treating their fans and their relationship? How sh close, how much connection should they have? Do you encourage the band members on all your bands uh, to get on MySpace and and if some kid emails them uh, or hits them up on their personal MySpace page, respond to every single yeah. one, never insult. I mean, do you have rules? Do you have words of advice for all of them? Definitely. I mean, with All Time Low, I think it's gotten to a point now where there's so many requests coming in and they try to do as much as they can, but at times it does get overwhelming. But like the bigger lights, they actually set aside like four hours a day as a band where they're like, we're going to sit on MySpace, we're going to send out friend requests, we're going to do all these things. And you know, for me, it's like they're so organized that it almost scares me because it's like we have we <laughs> have meetings. What the hell are you for? Yeah, me and, <laughs> me and Nano have meetings with them, and they'll send us like bullet pointed like notes of the meeting on email, and I'm just like, wow, I was afraid to open it because I was just, I just knew that it was like beyond me. But yeah, and I also always talk to the bands about going out talking to the kids. You know, I remember the first summer we did Warp Tour with All Time Low. They did two weeks, and. um me and Nana were just like on top of them the whole time. Go talk to that kid. Go talk to that. And they hated us by the end of that. But they sold a lot of CDs. And that's really stuck with them, I think, because that's one thing that they're right, just great at. They're always out there. They're signing until the last kid leaves or until security you know, tells them to get out of the building. So, you know, it's been – it's definitely – their fans are rabid, and 
they're real. You know, I feel like because they're on an indie label, there's not like a super marketing budget. They're not all over MTV, but their fans are real and they really love this band. And that's that's a good thing to see. So, I mean, dealing with, you know, and sitting in the room with Pat Magnarella, with mm-hmm. Green Day and, and Chris Allen with All American Rejects and right. stuff, you know, and, and, and now... Uh, I can't remember the lead singer's name. I'm really bad right now. Uh, but he's doing acting and so forth and so on. Tyson. Yeah, Tyson, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, I mean, have you kind of gotten a, uh, a feeling for when a band starts getting to that level, how does the how does the manager not lose sight of the bass, the spine, right. the fans, the original kids that were there? How do you not but still take them up to that next level right. where they're doing the Grammys now? right. I mean, that's something we definitely, me and Chris, have talked about a lot lately. And it's like, there's a new video coming out for Dear Maria, and it's definitely a, a more high-budget video. And it's like, they're starting to like talk to MTV and things like that. And it's like, do we go to radio? Do we not go to radio? It's like, finding that balance. You don't want to na- alienate the kids that you know were there from the beginning. So we're very aware of that. And I think the way that the band treats their fans, and they're always out signing and doing all these things, that hopefully that'll let the kids know that there's that connection. Because no matter whether it's, you know, 300 kids on their headlining tour, 2,000 kids with Boys Like Girls, I mean, they will stay there and sign and do whatever it takes. So, yeah, I mean, All Time Low, we just encourage them to just be who they are. And mm-hmm. that's, and I think that's something great about them. They didn't make a quote-unquote radio record. You know, they just went out, they like, we want to make a pop-punk record. We want to make a fun record. And that's what they did. And, you know, hopefully... uh kids will see that that's they're doing what they want to do and that's you know that they're honest and genuine about it so but yeah it is it's definitely there's always going to be some backlash i think as mm-hmm. bands get bigger i know the first time it got played on like the trl jukebox all these kids were messaging the myspace like oh no we're gonna lose you and right, like, to all time yeah yeah and it's like no you know we're just the same band it's just they just played our video you know it's it's the same band it's the same music we're still gonna act the same and that's the remarkable thing about them i really feel like I mean, they're not that big a band right now, but it's like they're just the same kids that they're the same dudes that they were, you know, two years ago. So they're almost more humbled by the experience. It's kind of weird. How do you? How do you? How do you watch? I'm, how much? How much is psychology played into being a band manager? I mean, I think there's you definitely, you definitely. I mean, I think it's funny because uh, Matt Squire, who produced the uh, All Time Low record, his degree is in psychology, and he always says that. He really does use that, you know, when he's, you know, working with bands to try to get what he needs out of them. And, yeah, I definitely think that it's a big part of it. Do, so. you, do you find yourself, you know, like, okay, the bassist is um, more emotional, the, you know, the drummer is more practical, the, you know, the, uh, the, the uh, lead guitarist, you can get him with some chocolate. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, do you kind of have a method to... Each band psychology, you know, like you would set your goals. You were saying they pretty much did a. They were pretty much self sufficient, right? So right. They're, they're very independent minded, right. and yeah, know, definitely. And I and think you can't play a control freak with them without them pissing them off. I imagine. Yeah, I mean, I haven't ha- had that experience with them, but I think it's knowing, like you said, it's knowing your bands, and that's why I like to go out in the road with them, especially like you know, a new band like Every Avenue. That you know, I had met them once when I picked them up. I just went to go see them in the studio. I like them as dudes. I like the record. But it's still like getting to know who's the business guy, who's, you know, who just wants to be in the band just to party or whatever. I'm not saying that that's mm-hmm. the, how that band sure, is, no, but no, yeah. you, you know, you really got to get to know your bands. And there's so many bands I talk to that they're like, you know, we can't call our manager or our manager doesn't come out to shows or whatever. And I feel like you have to have that connection, you know, so that you, you know, 
how what gets through to everybody and how to communicate with them because you know everybody responds differently. Some people need to be mm-hmm. like pushed and yelled at. Some people need space, and you know that's how they get their work done. So you know, it's just learning what motivates you know anybody in any business. It's what what motivates the people you work with or that work for you. So, have you ever had a situation where a band member had to leave a band, um, or somebody had to get kicked out? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So in those particular situations, which uh, especially if it's somebody that was part of the original formation, that's going to be very, very difficult. It's like pulling a tooth. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you deal with those situations? When do you know it's time that the band member can't be saved, or rehabilitated, or talked into compromising or something like that, and it's just time they got to go? Uh, yeah, I actually just went through this with one of my bands recently where they were you know, getting rid of somebody that had been there since the beginning. And it, I think it just, I kind of talked to them. And it's like a lot of times when you're dealing with, people in bands especially younger bands they haven't had jobs like when Mm -hmm. you know you go into the workplace you don't like everybody you work with you Mm -hmm. know you're not friends with them so i kind of said look can you deal with it you know is it something you know just because you're not best friends is it if it's for the betterment of the band and they're just like nah just he's bringing us down and you know it's it's being counterproductive and i guess the difference between a regular job is that you have to live with these people you know in tight quarters sleeping in a van so you know it's always hard but you know sometimes when it gets to the point where his behavior is having a negative effect on the band, you know, and no one's bigger than the whole. So it's, you know, when it gets to that point, then I think it, it they have to go. But it's it's always the band's call. I try not to get mm. too involved in that. I don't want to I don't want to tell them how to run their band because I'm not on the road with them. Mm-hmm. So if they say this is the way it has to be, then you know who am I? And then you have to not? be the guy that makes it, you have to be the guy that makes that call. Yeah, usually, that phone call to the band manager. You got to no, sit down no. that with that band member, or, or do you? No, find they it usually th- handle it themselves. They handle it themselves. Every time that I've been involved, they handle it themselves. Yeah. And so then you send the band members bottles of wine, so you don't because <laughs> you didn't have to deal with that, right? Um, you know, there's a book that just came out, uh, or it's coming out. I, I think it's a very, very small independent book, but it's called Band as a Brand. And uh, I know Pete once uh, wrote an op-ed in AP uh, just several months ago, talking about you know bands should not be embarrassed to take sponsorship money. That's right. how you make money now. Right. Um, do you have a philosophy? Do you do you and Nano have a philosophy about sponsorships, endorsements, things like that that are now making up for those lost sales, the CD sales that used to be there? Right. I mean, we're not at the point right now where you know there's a lot being offered. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's more like free product if you wear our stuff, things like that. But I mean, I think as long as it's something that the band you know actually uses and supports. But yeah, I definitely understand where he's coming from because you know you don't make what you did before from CD sales and mm-hmm. you know records don't sell like they used to. And, you know, even with, like, the 360 deals going on. I was going to ask you, what do you think about those? I mean, as a manager, of course, you don't like it because it, it cuts into the revenue. Right, you let's know, talk, let's, let's, for the listeners out there that don't know what the 360 deal why don't you explain it from your perspective, what a 360 deal is? Um, it's a 360 deal is where the label has their hands in your merch and in your touring as well as your CD sales, and they take a portion of that, you know, of those profits. And I guess their defense is that, they can then invest more money into your band to help establish it. I know everybody's read the, well, a lot of people mm-hmm. read the Paramore article it talked about. Sure, New York Times. Yeah. yeah, they've planted, they've helped grow the band through, you know, being able to, whether it's pay for schooling or a tutor or whatever, and they couldn't have done this, they say, without the 360 deal. And, you know, maybe for a startup band, but then you look at if a band such as All Time Low went to a major, what, you know, where is their startup? You know, you don't need to grow the band in that sense, so... I mean, of course, from a manager standpoint, you don't like anything that takes money out of your uh, 
Had so are you honest. on the? Fe- it sounds like you're on the fence about them. Like it's based situation by situation. I, I, you're not really pro or pro or for them or against them. I mean, I'm trying to be politically correct here. Oh, but, yeah. I see. I see what you're <laughs> but, saying. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm never for anything that you know takes money out of the band's pockets. But if you can actually prove to me that this money is actually contributing to yeah, that's the growth usually, of yeah, the yeah. band. That's the criticism. Yeah, it's like, you know. That, that it, all it really is doing is financing the old model. Right, right. And that it's like you're yeah. just not selling as many records, so you got to get money from somewhere else. But Right. You know, I don't, once again, I don't know if, I haven't been a part of a 360 deal yet, so we'll see if. You one, said All Time Low was incorporated. Yes. How impo- when, when should a band do that? Oh, as as soon as possible. I really? Think. Yeah. As soon as you start touring. Is it, a, is it a limited liability or is it like a regular? I mean, what kind of corporation? They're a full corporation. Full corporation. Yeah. So like what a C, a C corp or yeah, S yeah. corp? Yeah, S corp. Yeah. Okay. But um, like most of the bands are just LLCs. So okay. I mean, that's easiest. That's even what okay. what the management company is. We're LLC. But yeah, just for tax purposes and you know also a liability purpose. So it, it's good to have you know that corporation so everything's not in your name. But you know definitely and bands need to. You know, keep track of their expenses and everything that they're doing on the road, and it it is a business, and they can't they can't forget that. And you know, sometimes you need to remind them it's not just about partying and using that fifty bucks to buy beer. You know, it's like you're trying to grow this career here. So, so for insurance purposes, for the for younger band members out there, um, are are there certain rules that that your bands have to follow when they're on the road? Like when at the end of the show, do not throw X item into audience. Yeah, of course. I mean, it says that in your contracts. You won't you know you won't do anything. You know that that causes harm or encourages riots. Yeah, but every riots single drummer or, throws their sticks. Oh yeah, Those exactly. Are, you know, I mean, it's, what are you gonna I guess do? It's, it's, I yeah, guess that's like, like, what are you gonna do? It's like gotta, you put it in there in case something goes wrong. Then you know, as a promoter, I can go back to you and be like, hey, you know, what what did you do there? But yeah, I mean, but do you tell them like, okay, if they're underneath, if you can tell they're underneath the age of sixteen, then don't. <laughs> X dot 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 dot. Of course. <laughs> I, I joked with one tour manager, I won't say who, that uh, on the day sheet where it like lists when they play and when load in is, it should have age of consent, in, you know, in that state. <laughs> I did get a random text message from a band member the other night saying I just made out with these 16 year old. And I was like, well, what's the age of consent? In yeah, the which state? state are you in? <laughs> and he was like 16. I was like, well, there you go. Yeah, you're all right. Not okay. that I'm encouraging that. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. Wow. Right, of course not. Well, they all look older than they actually are. Yes. And fake IDs. It was their fault. Yes. It was their fault. Um, just a couple more, but uh, um, let's let's go five years now. I mean, obviously, you, you and Nana must have talked about this, and you talking with Chris and mm-hmm. Pat and other people in the industry. What is going to describe the environment that bands will be surviving in? Do you think at that point because of the consolidation you're seeing you know Live Nation they they're not going to deal with Ticketmaster anymore so now Live right. Nation's going to have its own ticket sales thing going on they they bought out Madonna there's talk that they may go after Rolling Stones that right, way yeah, I saw that. you know so it's like wh- where do you what kind of environment do you think bands that guys kids that right now that are girls uh, that are in younger bands right now are going to be living in in five years from now because of everything going on if you just wild guess wow I mean it's definitely. It's going to be, you're going to have to think outside the box. That's definitely, you know, the case. It's, you know, finding other revenue streams and other ways to get your music out there. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think that the major labels, they are fighting back with the 360 deals to try to make themselves more money to stay relevant. And I'm, I'm sure that, you know, five years from now, they'll still be major labels. And, but even I'm feeling, I'm hearing from indie labels that they're going to have to start doing 360 deals because they can't afford to do it either. So, I mean, it's definitely going to be, T- making a choice as to whether you want to give up a lot of your rights and a lot of whether it be publishing or your merchandise rights or doing it on your own. I mean, I, I think that 
I know I was talking to one of your editors upstairs. It's like mm-hmm. a lot of more established bands are making that jump to say, you know, we can still sell out halls on our own. We're just going to put out our own music. And, and I think that that'll probably be a trend. But I don't know if that's going to be something that, that can stick for, you know, younger up-and-coming bands, you know, that don't have the established fan base that a radio it has or, you know, that Nine Inch Nails has. So I don't, I don't know. I think that you're still going to see a lot of the, the same people in place, the same mechanisms in place. But, I mean, I, I'm sure it'll continue to go this way, but I don't know. How do you feel? I mean, do you feel like it's going to continue to go this way? Oh, no, I mean, no turning like, the chairs here. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, you've been in this business longer than me, so it's like it's hard, it's hard to say. Do you think it's – I mean, eventually it's, it's got to hit a wall, I would think. Yeah, I, it, you know, not to turn this all about me, but right. th- I do think you're going to have a lot of people doing it on their own. Right. I just, you know, I think we're living in a very post-Katrina society where just in general the American psyche is nobody is there to save us. Right. And the music industry right now is kind of in that nobody's got any great ideas to save us. Everybody's right. trying their own little model to save their right. themselves. So I, I, just, I just have a feeling you're going to have a lot of independent players, a lot of people hiring... Um, and you know, people that used to be publicists at labels that used to be radio people at labels used to be marketing people at labels and they're all going to be independent guns for hire and right. a band will, and with a manager and the manager will start replacing the label. Right. Because at some point, if you don't need to, to get your copies in Best Buy, if you don't need to get your copies in Walmart anymore, right. and it's just digital. Right. Well then why don't you just hire your own marketing person, your mm-hmm. own thing and do it yourself. You don't need the label. Yeah, definitely. What's the point? Yeah. So, I, I you think know, that for young bands, that's another thing that my advice is do it like you have no label and even when you have a label do it like you have no label you know it's just you have to the money isn't there you know if you're on an indie label you're not going to get you're not going to be on MTV you're not going to be on the radio that's not what's going to sell your records it's going to be you know your internet buzz it's going to be you know going out on tour it's going to be you know making a connection with those fans so i mean i think all the bands that i have that are doing well you know it's because they're doing it on their own they don't mm-hmm. you know at the end of the day I'm not going to say they don't need a label, they don't need me, they don't need a booking agent, all those things help, but the core of it is is them and, and the you know how aggressive they are. And, you know, I mean, I get emails from Set Your Goals all the time. It's like, it's just, just the ideas that are flowing. It's just like, some of them are crazy, some of them are amazing, and it's just like, but it's like this single-mindedness and this drive to get it done, and that's, and I think that's why they will be successful. And I'm really, you know, excited to see what this next record does. So, so if, if you're, if you're, if, one last question, uh, if, if you're, um, when you sit down with a new band and stuff like that, uh, and we, let's talk about merch just for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the essential items that every band should have in their merch catalog? Right. <laughs> T-shirts? No, I know, CDs, but you know, I mean, I mean, it's like certain things sell more than others. Certain right. colors sell more than others. I mean, right. what are you kind of getting the vibe on out there? Right now, it's like really... It's like really flamboyant designs, and it's like even you look at the shoes, like the dunks the kids are wearing. It's like they're really flamboyant colors, and it's like things that I could never pull off. And it's like <laughs> kids are just rocking it, and it's like wow. And it's like every band now has the you know bright yellow shirt, a pink shirt. You know, it's like really flamboyant. And there's a clothing company called Glamour Kills that mm-hmm. sponsors a lot of our bands. And I know you did an article on Marky in the mm-hmm. in the last issue, and it's like that those designs like they sell way more than anything else at the all time low merch table because it's like. It's just so out there. And then on Warp Tour, we did these uh, booty shorts that uh, it said get low on the butt. And, you know, those things just were flying off. So 
I mean, I think they're getting kick, kids kicked out of school for wearing them. Probably, yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> we're good at that. You know, we're good <laughs> you're, at yeah. That's right. That's right. It's actually, what, what was that story about? Yeah, the, the, the poster. Yeah, talk about that. Underwear. Those have they've heard about that. We'll we'll make that the closing thing. Okay. But this, yeah, the story uh, about the poster. Evidently, a, a junior high girl in uh, Maryland, all time low's home state, had a picture of all time low. Their promo photo where they're in their underwear, either in her locker on her notebook, and uh, I guess a. Uh, teacher or an administrator saw it and uh, claimed it was pornography and uh, suspended her from school so for I think three three days but so. it didn't it did, but didn't you guys do something for her or something I thought you guys like gave her something or no they didn't end up ever because oh, they were on the road care less. Okay, they I wanted <laughs> no. Well, yeah, yeah. No, Altamolo no, no. doesn't care. No, no, no. that. No. no, but they, uh, yeah. they would. They thought it'd be funny if they like showed up at the school in their underwear. But then we probably thought that would end badly, you know, with like school but, security. But hey, any publicity is good publicity. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would have been funny if you showed up in the school administrator's uh, front lawn. Yes, yes, that too. <laughs> With MTV cameras, <laughs> it could have been great. Yeah. I appreciate you coming in today. Um, it's been uh, it's been great. You've been our first manager, and uh, I wish you the best of luck with all these bands. Actually, and uh, and just to kind of um, uh, do a little conflict of interest stuff. All Time Low is uh, one of the main headliners on the AP tour this spring, and very we are very excited. fortunate about that. We are very excited. And Set Your Goals is one of Scott Heisel's favorite bands of all time, <laughs> and we actually have a lost acoustic session with them that we really? never aired yeah oh, wow. and we are uh, we just started uh we pulled it out and now we're we're probably gonna air it so oh, awesome so you'll probably see a set your goals lost acoustic session from about two years ago up on the ap website soon enough and uh, i'm gonna see the bigger lights tonight so awesome. i'll let you know what i think so that's cool. great thank you again and good luck right. with everything thanks a lot mike ap podcasts are recorded at lava room recording studio in cleveland ohio a new york city quality studio at cleveland prices Check out www.lavaroomrecording.com. For more information on Alternative Press Magazine, go to www.altpress.com. The podcast engineer is John Walsh. Post-production assistance from Rob Tenzi. I'm Mike Shea, and this is All My Fault. You can reach me directly at www.myspace.com slash Mike Shea AP. That's S-H-E-A like the stadium, AP. 